Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I have a great guest, Kevin Kelly. He's a speaker, an author, a futurist, a polymath, and a, a renaissance man. Some of his um, accomplishments, there's so many, I can't even begin to describe them. Uh, he's the co-founder of the All Species Foundation. It's a nonprofit aimed at cataloging and identifying all living species on Earth. Uh, he's a board member of the Long Now Foundation, another nonprofit dedicated to fostering the long-term responsibility of companies. And recently, uh, last year, actually, he published his newest book, The Inevitable, which talks about uh, trends over the next 20 years that's going to shape everyone's life, ubiquitous tracking, accessing uh, artificial intelligence, sharing of everything in our lives, uh, getting paid to watch ads, for instance, virtual reality in your home, et cetera. So, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, yeah, it's a real delight being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, if you would, let's, let's maybe talk first about The Inevitable. I read the book uh, several months ago. It was both scary and enlightening and interesting. And um, what made you want to look at the future and, and decide that these trends and some of the ones I didn't mention are, are the things that are really going to shape our world? My previous book called What Technology Wants took almost a cosmic view of uh, the arc of technology as I tried to develop a theory of technology. We were kind of like you know, naturalists, before Darwin came along, we had, you know, collections in our cabinets of one biological example or specimen after another, but there was really no framework for understanding them. And in the tech world, we have a similar thing. There's just this continual parade of um, of new inventions and technologies, but there didn't seem to be any framework for understanding where they were coming from. And my earlier book was an attempt to kind of put it in a framework of evolution, actually. But as I was writing this, there were still um, all these examples coming up in the near term. So I uh, wanted to write something that was a lot, you know, lies cosmic, a little bit more near term. And near term for me meant like the next 30 years. Um, that's not right. near term for some people, but for me, that was like near term. And so um, I extrapolated some of the same ideas that there are these sort of inherent systematic tendencies in any kind of a system, and technology is a system. Um, these attractors, which keep repeating certain patterns, and if we could identify those patterns, we could we could say, well, you know, here is a tendency in this in the technology that's independent of of any of the human cultures around it. It's based more fundamentally in the very nature of of uh, material and physics and chemistry, and it's going to keep occurring. And if we understand that, then we can say, well, this is the bias, this is the tendency, and it, it wants to kind of go in this direction. We're not talking about like endpoints, how it's, where it's going to end. I, you know, I'm just saying this is going, all things being equal, it's going to move in this direction. And my book, the Inevitable, is an attempt to identify those directions. And they're all self-feeding and kind of intermingled and braided. And so we could probably slice them in different ways, but they're generally headed in, in, in a kind of a general direction together. And um, 
I'm saying that they're inevitable in the sense that no matter what individual entrepreneurs or, or even politics happen, we're going to have more tracking in our lives within 30 years. We're going to have more interaction with our computers, including going into them with VR. We're going to have more cognification, more smart stuff. We're making everything smarter, and we're going to do that no matter what. And so if we know these directions, then, you know, what can we say about that if we move in this direction? And that's what the book is trying to explore. Yeah, it's a great title, uh, The Inevitable. It sums it up. What I like is that it's not dystopian. You know, so many Hollywood movies and and news and, um, you know, everyone's talking about the, the, well, some people are talking about the singularity, computers becoming, you know, cognizant of themselves and taking over and getting rid of humans. How come with all your knowledge and with all your experience, you didn't feel like there's going to be a dystopian future? Why are you optimistic yeah. about things? That's a great question. Um, the honest answer is a probably a combination of things. One is, I think temperamentally, I am an optimist, just, just you know, my personality. But secondly, I spent a very long time in my formative years, you know, after high school um, in Asia, and as it was in the middle or as it was in the beginning of lifting itself out of poverty in a mass scale and becoming, in some cases, the most advanced places on this planet. And um, I saw that with my own eyes. and. I got a really, you know, I got a big dose of optimism from witnessing uh, what was really happening in the world. I and mean, what really is happening is that there really is progress. And um, that's sometimes very hard to see because the progress on a yearly basis is minuscule. It's tiny. It's the tiny percent. We're only, we're only, we're only creating a tiny percent more than we destroy every year. And so that is, is sort of swamped by the news and of news of any of the best news. I mean, you know, news of the most trustworthy kind is still news that's reporting on things that are unusual. And progress is really a mark of what doesn't happen. It's 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 really it's all the things it's all the things that didn't happen today that normally would have happened for millions of years, which is you know people were starving, you know, dying early, uh, being robbed from what by the few surplus that they had. All those things didn't happen, and that's not being reported. That's not news. And so um, progress is sort of invisible. You have, to, you have to see it really in retrospect, or you have to see it compared to what it was. And that's, most Americans don't see that. And so I got to, to see uh, what actually was happening at a large scale and in real time. And that made me notice progress more. Um, and then I, I would say the third component of my optimism comes from history, that um, if you just look at the scientific evidence, the actual data about the last 200 years, uh, and pick any measurement that really matters to humans, has been getting better on average on a kind of the time-adjusted trend. It's not every year, but on average, over there's a global mean that we've been improving our, you know, uh, there's less violence, there's uh, more safety, there's more longevity, there's greater empathy, greater rights. I mean, all, all the things are increasing over time. And that's just the evidence. That's just the scientific evidence. And so it... And so that's the past. Now, 
It's possible mm-hmm. that 200-year trend could stop tomorrow. Possible, but it's very, very unlikely. So again, the, the, the most sane, rational, scientific approach would be to say, well, that's probably, high, there's a high probability, a high confidence level that that will continue at least another decade, and at least another couple decades. And so that's where my optimism comes from. It comes from history. Yeah, I see your optimism and how you wrote the book. You know, for instance, artificial intelligence. I was feeling like, you know, wow, with the exponential growth of it, that it may take over um, and want to get rid of people, for instance. And that's what movies certainly portray. But you talk about working with AI, you know, a doctor that has access to IBM Watson and can ask it, you know, based on the 100,000 papers you've read about heart health, you know, help me what's going on with this patient and make a better diagnosis than they otherwise would. So you talked yeah. about, for instance, AI is not replacing people, but helping them, you know, being like they're an assistant or a dog and help them to hunt better and to work better. Yeah. And um, there's a couple ingredients of that. And that's exactly right. Um, we will work on teams of um, AIs and humans. And um, there's a emerging term called Centaur, which is a, uh, a, a unified team of, of a human working with AIs and um, came out of the chess world um, where, uh, you know, in, initially the, when the supercomputer Deep Blue bit, beat the world's best human chess player, people thought it was the end of chess for humans. But in fact, mm-hmm. in a curious way, what happened was um, uh, more and more people started playing chess because they had computerized versions they could play against and they learned much faster and the best highest ranked chess player ever in all time is actually uh, a guy who learned to play chess playing against a computer so the computer made him a better chess player and um wow. not only that but the world's best chess player on this planet is not an ai and it's not the human it's a team of ais and humans this the centaur and so um, hmm. that's because there's complementary type intelligences. And that goes to my second point, which is that um, the thing that you want to keep in mind about AIs is they're, they're plural. And, and that, there are, that most of these intelligences, these species of intelligence are not human-like. And, 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 and they're, by, by the nature of the fact that we're, they're running in a different matrix than us, they're on silicon, they just think differently and they will think differently, even as we make them more complicated. And the idea of them being smarter than humans is a very misleading um, concept because we're not, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no axis. There's, there's, there's no, there's no dimension uh, about IQ is not a real scientific thing that we can use when talking about animal intelligences or human and machine intelligences. There's, it's not a single dimension. And so, um, that's the idea that there's some long dimension and we're, you know, there's rats and m- mice, rats and monkeys and chimps and then humans and then Albert Einstein and then AIs is completely misleading and not at all helpful because intelligence is more like a, a, a basket of different types, different elements. It's, it's like a compound made up of different chemical elements and there's not like a ranking of elements. It's like the one thing. It's there's just compounds, and so uh, intelligence is a compound. And what we're going to be making is new, different compounds, all like a whole zoo of different.
different species of thinking, and we'll work with them because they're complementary to ours. They they think differently, and together we can solve some of the most difficult problems we have that human intelligence alone can't. But we can working with other kinds of intelligences. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I believe that there's a physical intelligence. Maybe certain athletes have a physical intelligence more than I would. An artist that can create amazing designs. Well. I could appreciate them. I feel like I couldn't create them. So I believe there's artistic intelligence. And you're saying there's a new thing called machine intelligence. And even that is varied tremendously amongst different uh, select types of AIs. Is that right? I would say there's, there are machine intelligences. But more importantly, there, you know, our own intelligence is made up of maybe 12 different cognition types from perception, uh, inductive reasoning, deductive reasoning, symbolic reasoning, emotional intelligence, spatial intelligence, um, long-term memory, short-term memory. You know, there, there's a very long list of these. And um, we will rep try to replicate those modes of thinking in machines, but so far, actually, we've only replicated one of them. We've only synthesized one of the dozens of types of thinking that we know that we do in our brain. And that one type is perception which is what the neural nets do. And they do it very well, and they do it in some cases better than humans do it. And so that's, the, it, perception is really the, you know, the basis of visual perception is how, why we have self-driving cars. Uh, audio perception is why we have the conversation bots in our kitchen. Um, uh, Large-scale pattern perception is why we have recommendation engines, uh, you know, making sense of these large patterns, but it's only one kind of thinking that we've been able to actually synthesize yet. And even the other natural kinds that occur in our mind, we have yet to be able to synthesize. Um, and as, but as we do, we will arrange them in new combinations, different strengths, and then we will also probably invent whole new kinds of cognition that don't exist as well and add that into these compounds. Do you think that there'll ever be a general AI uh, that will be able to create a being that has, maybe it doesn't have to have the same cognition types as us, but X number of new ones where it actually looks like a new species or a new entity. Well, I, I don't think there is a general AI. I think that's a complete myth, a fiction. I don't think our, our minds are not general purpose. We have, very, we, we have evolved a very, very specific kind of intelligence for our survival on this planet. And as we populate, as we make and invent thousands of different types of, of minds will understand that our own mind is not at all general purpose. And we will produce lots of beings. And again, other, these other qualities like consciousness, um, self-awareness, they're all continuums. They're, all, they're not binary, like you have it or you don't. Same thing with intelligence. It's not like you have it or you don't. No, you have it in gradations and you have varieties of them, different compounds. And so there will be beings who might be Great conversationalists um, have very low consciousness, um, and you know, be um, you know, very personable, have a lot of emotion. Or there may we might make some beings that have uh, very low emotion, um, maybe middle bit, uh, certain kind of consciousness, and maybe be uh, very dumb, or in other you know, have low spatial navigation. I mean, the whole point is is that we can. We'll engineer all different varieties and all these qualities that we associate with humans are all continuums. They're all 
They're all gradations that we can put into different degrees into these beings um, to serve different purposes. And so um, we, we're under a kind of a weird thing because we have, we have a kind of example of one, uh, this conscious, intelligent being, and we think that it's a binary state. Either you have it or you don't. And we'll be surprised about the number of gradations, and 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 we and we do that right now because we're kind of blind to the gradations we see in the animal kingdom. We we really dismiss animal intelligence because they can't tell us what they're thinking, and so we're kind of wiped off the board. But there's huge variations and huge uh, diversity, and um, very sophisticated. I mean, watch uh, one of these videos of the chimp. Playing the numbers game, um, which, which they kind of um, you can find some videos where, where, where they're picking numbers in order, and, and they're just completely. I mean, there's no human who can do that. I mean, their 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 ability, their their photographic memory of remembering the correct order of numbers, one, two, three. They know the numbers, they know which one's better, and they can remember the placement in a way that just humans look at it and they say, "How is that even possible?" So their intelligence exceeds us in many dimensions already. And my point is just that there's a, I'm trying to argue that there's a huge diversity and complexity of intelligences that we're going to make artificially. And um, we don't want to get stuck on this idea of like smarter than human because they're already smarter than humans. Your calculator is smarter than you are already. This is, this is much more complicated than just a single dimension. Do you think that humans will not only interact with these technologies and, you know, to do various tasks, but what about a cyborg, you know, integrating these add-on intelligences into us yeah. and onboarding the, their capabilities into our brain and our, our abilities. Yeah. yeah I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do that initially with people who, uh, who really need them, who are, you know, these, these are remedies and then we'll do enhancements, but we'll do remedies first. And, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk's neural lace and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is all doable. I've tried on some of the brain um, interfaces, the little scalp helmets, and I, to control a computer by thinking. And it really, you really, you can, you can do it. It's it's not as, huh. uh, it's not as elegant, or it's, it's you know, there's more trouble. It's I mean, it's just it's a lot easier to use my fingers. Um, so 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 there's no reason why I would want to do that, or you know continue but you can't it can be done right now and so um we will definitely do it but i have to tell you i mean i'm 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 not going to be the first to to put a brain implant in it's like um the uh <laughs> you know there's just there's a there, that's a very conservative you know biology is very very conservative it's going there has to be huge benefits and there have to be huge proven uh low risks to to before that becomes something i would do Excuse me, but I think um, it's a, you know that's the direction that we're going. The story I tell is there the first computers I saw were were roomfuls of were the size of a room, and then they they migrated. They became you know refrigerator sizes, and then they hopped onto our desks, then they hopped onto our laps, then they hopped into our pockets, and then they're hopped against our skin as we wear them. And the next place is they want to go under the skin. So. Um, right. That seems to be the general direction, um, and uh, I, I think we will become cyborgian, and or at least some of us will. But there will be others who will say, under no circumstances will any of this happen. 
for me or my children or descendants. And I and I think you know the transhumanist agenda is going to become a very very conflict ridden um, intersection because I think there's I think I think you know we'll fork I think we'll diverge I think we'll speciate I think we'll we'll have people who are going to mess with our genes and uh, there are other things and people who won't. Um, so, uh, you know, some, like the, the conflict of abortion will just pale as kindergarten stuff compared to what uh, the controversies and the conflict over, uh, you know, taking control of our evolution will be. And AI will, will play a part in that uh, for sure in kind of redefining who we are or, First, helping us define who we are, and then redefining who we want to be. Hmm. Do, you, do you have um, people in your life that you interact with that say, "Kevin, how do you think of this stuff?" You know, like where do you get your um, where do you get your perspective from? Is it is it really mostly from travel, or how do you come up with these ideas? Yeah, um, it's sort of my job in one way, but um, I do travel a lot still. To the what the traveling does mostly is force force me to try to take different perspectives um like the the, okay. the the perspective that what technology wants was simply i pretended to look at technology through the eyes of technology it's like the selfish gene that richard dawkins invented which is to view biology mm-hmm. through the eyes of genes and you know that's that's so when he looks at his own kids he doesn't see just genes but that so so he doesn't always look through genes but it's 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 a handy you know, it's a handy magnifying, it's a handy filter to look at the world. And so um, trying to see the world differently allows me to put on those glasses to look at, you know, to try different glasses on, to look at the world as if mm. um, you're a Martian or to look at it as if you are a robot or to look at it as if you are Asian and um, or to look at it as if you were a believer and had a, and had a faith. And so though that shifting perspective is... It's sort of like, um, you know, I mean, like one of the things I say about looking at the future or trying to predict the future is we're not really trying to predict the future, which is really unpredictable. We're really trying to predict the present. So so the, thinking about the future is an exercise in some ways to really see what's happening now. Um, yes, we're concerned about what happens in the future, but it's really difficult. But we're almost kind of like glad if we can just understand what's happening right now. And so, so these are just different lenses, different exercises, different mm, habits that um, force on different perspectives in order to illuminate what's really going on. Okay. And I saw in your, um, in your bio that you worked on the movie Minority Report. You were hanging out with a bunch of other futurists and imagining what would happen. And it seems like the movie was really accurate. Can you tell yeah, me a little bit about that experience, and, and was that fun for you? What was that like, and what did you get out of it? So the story was there's was, there's was, um I was part of a network called the, the around Global Business Network organized by Stuart Brand and Peter Schwartz. Peter Schwartz had a connection to some movie guys, including Spielberg, and Spielberg was talking about this movie he was going to make uh, that was set in the year 2050. I think this it was around the year 2000. I think that we were working on it, and um, so Peter says, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll convene a bunch of my futurist friends, um, and they can kind of help you world build. And you know, they'll do this 
for free in exchange for getting a credit on the, you know, on the credit lines. Um, and so that was the agreement. So he, Spielberg, had us come down for a weekend at the Shutter's Hotel in the Venice Beach. I think it's Venice. And um, we were there for for a weekend. And there was a, people like Jaron Lanier, myself, Doug Copeland, Neil Gersenfeld. Uh, I, I forget the whole list of, of people. And our job was to kind of world build the year 2050. There's no real rules for that. So it was kind of more of a brainstorming session. And I do mm-hmm. remember, uh, first of all, the, the, what we were shown was basically the Philip K. Dick short story. I, I hesitate to call it short story because it was even shorter than a short story. It was more like a, a sketch, a vignette. And I read well, it and I thought, you know, I said, man, if they can make a movie from this, they can make a movie from anything because it was like there was really no story there. It was the story was really nothing like the movie. The story was just about these precogs and um, several things about the precogs. One, one of the things that you know Spielberg was saying was how you know how plausible is it that these precogs could exist? And I was totally dubious. I was like, I don't. This is like I don't believe this at all. I've actually changed my mind about that. Um, the, the the premise, of course, is that there is these mutants, human mutants. Who are telepathic in some ways, and they can actually, um, they can take all these, uh, all the processing, all the uh, CVT cameras, all the all, all the tracking that's being done in like a city or country, and and they can kind of it can flow through them, and they can then perceive, and they're like AIs in human bodies right. who right. can then deduce whether someone's about to commit a crime. And then they would announce that, oh, so-and-so is about to commit a crime. And then they would have this police force come in and prevent the crime from happening. So it was pre-crime. And I thought that was like totally, totally unbelievable. But I've actually changed my mind to to now think that, yeah, with all this kind of, if you do have all this tracking and an AI, you might be able to, not in a human mutant, but in an AI, actually say, no, I think a crime is going to happen right here because all these things are, you know, all the evidence is coming in and I'm watching it all. So right. the short answer is that we, we came up with, the group came up with a bunch of different uh, things. And, you know, people like myself tend to talk in generalities and trends. And Spielberg said, no, 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 no. So I, I want to know, like, what does a kitchen look like? What's in the kitchen? What do they have for breakfast? Um, what, 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 does, what, what are they sleeping on in the bedroom? You know, because he, was, he wanted to make a film. He wanted to film it. And so he, was, he wanted the particulars. He wanted, like, you know describe what music they're listening to. And that was sort of a uh, new challenge for us because forced us to kind of be, be very, very particular. And there was a number of things that I suggested and others suggested that made it in and most of them didn't, but that's, you know, that's how it goes. And so, um, uh, I, I think one thing I learned from that was, you know, the, um, I don't know, so the, the, the challenge and the benefit of actually trying to be specific um, you're going to be wrong, and you know right. you, uh, a lot. You know, in 2050, well, it looks like that. I don't know, but we 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 tried hard to make it plausible, and um, uh, you know whether that's a dystopian view, kind of is. Um, but there are other aspects of it that were kind of you know that we do want the flying cars and that kind of stuff. Hmm. Well, it seems like a lot of elements of the movie came true. Um, you know the 
personalized ads. I know it's not all yeah. the way true where it scans your retina, right. but it seems like a lot of that material ended up being fodder for the inevitable book that you wrote. So it seems like maybe it stayed with you, either the way you learned to think while you were in, engaged in that or just the things that the group yeah. came up with. But it seems like it stuck yeah. with you for quite a while. Sure. I mean, some of those were kind of floating around. I mean, I had been long talking about the benefits or the likelihood that we would engage or interact with our computers with our whole bodies standing up. So, so I came there with that idea. It wasn't, wasn't came out, you know, that was something that I've been talking about um, for a while, which was, you know, the standing up large gestures as a way to interact with your computers rather than just with your fingertips. And I think, you know, the idea of interacting with the, the ads that followed you around, I think Stuart was talking about that at this meeting. He'd been talking about that for a while, too. So there was things that, that were kind of either in the air or that people had already been thinking about that they got to actually, you know, integrate into into this world. Um, I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how much it changed my ideas of a future world, um, but... Uh, it was, it was, you know, I, I think I got some ideas about how to build, to do world building, but I'm not sure I actually, it altered anything, uh, about what I thought about the future. Right. And in the, in the spirit of, you know, what technology wants, what does Kevin Kelly want? Like what you, you know, you do tons of interviews, you've written books, you, you're so prolific. What do you want to see happen in the world? Do you want to change people's minds? Do you want to help them think in a different way? What's, you know, do you have a driving goal in, in your mind of what you want to accomplish with all the, the output you have? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really fair question. So, I mean, one of the things I try to optimize my own life is, is learning opportunities to learn, to change my mind. I think the books and, the, and my communication is, yeah, I mean, I am trying to change people's minds. And, and I think maybe going back to Earlier part is is one of the things I'm trying to do is you know I I, I is is to create and offer an optimistic view of the future because I, I do think it's very difficult to make a friendly future if we don't have a picture of that in our head and so you know in the past I was influenced as a kid reading science fiction growing up with science fiction reading there weren't that many science fiction movies. At that time, very very few. So, short stories and science fiction novels were the entire thing. But they um, they were much more optimistic um, at that time, and um, you know that I think that that kind of shaped you know like many people who wanted to make the holodeck or wanted to make the teleport machine, um, the handheld communicators because they saw them in in um, in stories, and uh, I would, I want to, I want to, you know, have people who tell, make movies and tell stories to actually return to to being a force for good by fantasizing, speculating, inventing uh, possible mm -hmm. worlds that we'd want to try and make happen. And you know, the inevitable is sort of one step in that direction of. of uh, of trying to outline, you know, how we have a world of uh, ubiquitous tracking and filtering and AIs and, the, and how, how that could be somewhere that would bring us more benefits than harm. Right. We're, we're kind of jaded at the moment. One, one of the things that we're, that's different from now than in the 1950s and 60s when I was reading 
stories was um, we know that technology bites back. We know that there's always these unintended consequences, that there's a downside, that there's a price that wasn't really that clear back then. Um, but now it's foremost in most people's minds when a new technology comes along, the first thing they ask is like, how is this going to hurt? You know, what, what's the real price mm. for this? Um, how does this bite back? And um, because it will. And, and I agree right. that it will. And so, um, you know, what are the new problems that this is creating? I mean, I think there's some kind of, but there's, some, you know, we, we're out of balance. We've, we've, that's a fair question to ask, and we should ask it, but we should also ask, what's the unintended good consequences? What are the unintended benefits for this? And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so, so uh, we can go too far in either direction. And I would just like to, uh, with, through my writings, show people a vision of, you know, I have a very optimistic vision. It's some way to try to convey that vision of how the, the, this is a co- technology is a cosmic force. It's it's a it's a cosmic force in the universe. It's taking place not just on this planet, but probably many, if there are other civilizations, many other civilizations around, or they're also experiencing the same self-organizing force, an extension of the same force of life, and the self-organizing force behind making galaxies itself. And so it's 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 a big, it's much bigger than us, and we, and so it's. I think there's a spiritual dimension to the te- technology, and I'm trying to share that vision in a larger sense. Yeah, why, why do you think that, um, well, I don't know if you think it, it. It seems like, you're right, the negativity is the focus and the downside is the focus. Do you think that society has changed and become more geared towards the negative and more fearful in recent years? And if so, why? Um, that may be part of it. I think there's probably multiple reasons. One reason is just that Storytellers have gotten so good, and they, you know, dystopians make much better stories. They've got built-in drama and uh, villains, and so um, they have just, you know, it just makes a much better story. And they are so good at telling stories that they've optimized dystopias. That's one part of the, I think, the answer. Uh, I think the second answer was a little bit what I was saying. We've we've educated ourselves, and we are much more sophisticated about technology in general. We've become wiser about it. We've you know we've had enough of a history to sort of understand that that any technology that promises only benefits is really that's that's a false advertising, and so um, so there is much more attention on the the downside. And then the third one is I think uh, news again going back to the rant about news. I think news is biased to report on the harms, and it's inherently systematically. In, capable in some ways of really reporting on the benefits because they're they're boring they're not dramatic they don't make good tv and um so there's even in the present not just the future even the presence there's a bias against um things that work things that are working and there's a much more of a, a, a bias to report on things that don't work makes sense yeah well what about um your outlook you know through everything you've seen and everything you've been around, do you feel more spiritual, less spiritual? Do you think technology and science is at odds against, you know, a belief in God or a belief in spirituality or is it, does it help? You know, how, how has your perspective changed over time? I think, um, yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I, I, I think, um, 
uh, you know, I came from, you know, kind of I mean, a traditional religious background. Um, and I think uh, that perspective is really imprisoned by a very old vocabulary and, and concepts. And part of my own path, I think, is, is trying to escape that vocabulary and um, use, uh, use the opportunity of the arrival of AIs, which I see as basically artificial aliens, as, a, as an excuse to kind of reformulate um, a view that is um, more scientific. So, so, you know, the broader thing is, no, I, I think it's possible that faith and science can exist. Um, but I think it can't exist in kind of the current vocabulary of a lot of the spirituality. And so I'm interested in sort of ways in which it can be recast and re-understood. Um, and so that's, and, and for me, the arrival of AI is one of the tools to do that because it sort of triangulates outside of our own experiences. And so we're forced to have a new set of vocabulary to talk about it. So one of the projects I've talked about in other podcasts is, is you know, this idea of trying to make a catechism for robots, you know, it's just like, well, if robots <laughs> are our beings, if they decide, if they if they announce to us that they're conscious and believe in God, what do we say to them? You know, it's like, what can they say? Well, what should I do? And you know, so 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 it's sort of a little bit of a of a it's humorous, but it's I'm totally serious about it. At the same time, I really do believe that we will need something like that. And so, um, um, when what would we say? I mean, I mean, you know, we we will have to say something. We'll have to some positions. To, the established religions will have to have some opinion, and there's nothing. Whatever response they have right now is not going to be satisfactory, so it's going to be disruptive. And um, uh, so, so I am myself really kind of trying to open up to re recast or or reword or reconceive of of these things in a different set of terms. That would that embraces you know the kind of kind of changes that we're seeing both from AI and eventually from genetic engineering as we remake ourselves and so um, you know where does that fit in how 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 does these things and and then you know the question that I asked myself and what technology wants was you know there there are a lot of the relationship of the divine and nature say or in divine and humans. And I was really interested in what's the relationship of technology in the divine? Where does technology fit in to a spiritual cosmos? You know, people like C.S. Lewis, whom I greatly admire, were, it was it was the work of the devil. Technology was kind of like the, the devil's work. Mm, it's true. Yeah. Um, and I, because I don't accept that framework at all, um, I wanted to say, well, what's, you know, what is the place of, um, how does this fit in? If there was a God, where does technology fit in? I mean, this is the biggest thing happening here. It's like, this is huge. And there's no, uh, there's no, almost no religions that are kind of with an elaborate uh, or sophisticated answer to that. And so that's where my interests have, have uh, moved in that realm is like trying to understand the place and the role of technology in kind of a spiritual world. Okay. And last question I have for you. <clears throat> Do you have any advice for people listening on 
how they can expand their consciousness, how they can, you know, become an optimist like you, how they can embrace <laughs> technology in the future. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, instead of being yeah, dystopian yeah. and worrying the, the end of the world yeah. all the time, how can, how can you help people? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think that's the best question I've had in a long time. Um, there, there's a book, um, about how to raise an optimistic child. Um, with, which was the, the idea that this was a pliable, durable, teachable thing. That while there are certain people like myself who are you know, probably genetically disposed to be optimistic, that it was still something that you could um, teach or at least uh, train as in like rear. Um, and I forget right now what some of the specifics were, but, but I'm just wondering if, if they could be applied. Um, to teaching adults how to become more optimistic. Um, what, one of the things, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the honest truth is I haven't really thought about that. That's why it's such a good question. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, I think, I know one thing that's always helped me is to, to try to imagine the worst scenarios and things and to realize that the worst scenarios are really not so bad. Um, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that would work on other people who, weren't already optimistic. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know because I, I didn't, <laughs> I, I, because I never had, yeah, I don't know. Um, how okay. would I, but, but it's a really good question. I, I think um, here, here's the only thing I would say right now in terms of this question about technology is that Steven Pinker is coming out with a new book called Enlightenment Now, and it makes a really good case for why progress is real. So, and it's not he's not the first book to do it, but I think he he's the first to do it most comprehensively and and and, and does it in a stylistic way. Okay. But I would say um, as a first step to try to become more optimistic about this is actually look at the evidence about the past. And I think if you can be optimistic about where we are today, then it'll help to be optimistic about the future. So like. There was no golden period where life was great and you wanted to live. There's been, there's no better time to be alive than right now today. And that's particularly true if you are going to have a, if you're going to be born in a kind of genetic lottery where you have no idea where you're going to be born, whether you're going to be born male or female. You don't want to be born in the past. You want to be born today, at least, and maybe probably in the future, because it's just on average a better opportunity. So if, if you, if you kind of, if you could become optimistic about what's happened so far and, and today, then I think that will help you become optimistic about tomorrow. So, so, and, and I think you become optimistic about that by actually looking at the evidence. So I would say, read all the books you can on progress and how the world's going to be better and see if you can come to agree or, 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 you know, absorb those facts. And I think if you can get there, then then you would have a better chance of becoming optimistic about the future. That's great advice. I appreciate it. I think listeners will too. So thank you for your great question. That that's that's a really fantastic question. Oh, sh- at least I got one good one in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and um, it's been great. And I encourage all listeners to get your book, The Inevitable, and you know what technology wants and. Uh, yeah, you got a lot of great perspectives. So thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been a delight and uh, a lot of fun. And I uh, wish you best on your adventures and endeavors. 
You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.